You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Peace and good morning, world. Welcome back to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Barnard. So today's word is race. Jeffrey White is a colleague of mine in my business life, and we've had some pretty amazing conversations in our old office. One thing that triggered this discussion we had together was an inner office talk about Philando Castile's murder in Minneapolis. In what seems to be the unfortunate norm in this country anymore, no one in a position of power was held accountable for Philando's completely avoidable death. But Jeff presented this really unique viewpoint about race relations, and it wasn't one that I was familiar with. Uh, But it made total sense to me. We can't move past our biases until we stop seeing each other in terms of race. Having a conversation about race is extremely difficult, even in the best of circumstances. And it's one that's really hard to do without expectations, temper, or even context. There's been so many really difficult but necessary reckonings and long overdue discussions we've had just this year that I'd be remiss not to have Jeff White on the show to talk about this idea he has. Jeff lives by the idea of term, the end race movement. He uses his own experience in life as a dark-skinned man to shape his philosophy through a lens not many of us have ever really even thought about. It's fascinating, refreshing, and completely accomplishable if we actually took the time to put it into practice like he did. For the first seven or eight years of his daughter's life, she didn't identify people by their race. This is just amazing, and honestly, Jeff explains it way better than I do, which is why I had him stop by the show today. So friends, let's welcome Jeff White to the show. So Jeff White, thank you so much for stopping by the show today. I really appreciate it. I've been I've been really looking forward to this conversation since we like initially had these talks at our office. So um, you know, it's it's really exciting for me. So I just wanted to say thank you for taking some time out to uh, to talk to me today. This is so cool. This is. Uh... The first time I'm going to be doing this uh, under the heat of the uh, camera lights, but <laughs> well, listen, don't feel too bad because when people watch the when people watch the video, they're going to see all this shit in the background here because we're in the middle of moving to Pittsburgh. So, like, all of this is like not like a Joe Rogan setup in the back here. So, um, but yeah, I just I'm I'm like super excited about this conversation because I know on the show like a couple months back, like when things really hit the fan in this country um, pretty significantly. Like we sort of touched on race a little bit, but we didn't have the conversations that I felt like we should be having in a lot of ways. And partially because like, I feel like there wasn't representation to have them. Right. And I feel like that's really important in these kinds of conversations is to have representation from people who live it and have lived it before. Um, So I think that that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to have this. But I think it also was timing, right, for both of us. With everything going on in our professional careers, we work for the same company, and it's just like crazy shit happening all the time. So um, I guess the best way to start this for me to give context uh, to this conversation would be 
talk, can you tell me, kind of walk me through the first time you had a situation in your own life um, where you realized that like race was going to be like a factor in your life or like where someone made you feel as though, you know, like the stories you hear pretty much every single day in this country. Like what, right. what was, what yeah. did that first time look like? Yeah. So I can go back to like childhood of seven, maybe eight years old. All right. And our neighborhood, uh, I grew up in Philadelphia. So I grew up in okay. Philly boy in West Oak Lane. <laughs> <laughs> got a shout uh, out got a rep yeah, yep, shout out it. to you know 72nd and Ogans. <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love and, it uh, so it was a very uh, you know well, let, me, let me just set up one thing one ground rule for today for me is that of course um, the challenge that I have is using the word race to talk about uh, my experiences or just experiences overall right so for the purpose of our discussion race and identifying folks per color like so black white um is a struggle for me because in my home and uh, in, in my daily life i try i'm not even try the, the trying aspect of using the word race and color is hard right because i i don't identify um folks that way only the only reason i do it is because it's an identifying factor um, used, right? So that my ground rule is that I'm stretching. I'm stretching to use more race because it's the context of our conversation. Right, just to frame, just to frame this part frame of it, right? But any, exactly. anything else is, yeah, we're, and we'll get yeah. into that and more too. I'm yeah. sure we'll dive into that a lot more later on. So my realization that my skin color was, was directly related to race. So I was born in the 60s. And I have no recollection of so all the turmoil that was going on in the 60s, the deaths, you know, Martin Luther King, JFK, RFK, um, you know, the, the movements, Malcolm X, all, all that, Martin Luther King. I, I did not have a direct framework, but I can tell you that I, I knew that there was a difference, right? And I knew that there was a black and there was a white and there was um, tension. Right. And in our neighborhood, um, there was a playground that was maybe, I don't know, five or six blocks, city blocks from our house. And myself and the other kids, about four or five of us would always walk up to the playground, um, take the same path, you know, cut down some certain streets and get there and play, come home. One day we were coming back from the playground and two police cars stopped stopped and blocked us from, from crossing the street, right? You're talking like two, three, seven-year-olds, maybe a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old, probably about five of us. And we had no idea what was going to happen. One of the police officers got out, said to us, you know, stop. We're going to arrest you and take you to jail. All right. And we're like, you know, we're ready. We're ready to just start. Crying. I think I may have been crying at that point. Right. But I mean, we're, you're seven, you're seven like, years old. Yeah. And, and oh, I'm not much. Well, you're, you know, uh, Rizzo, uh, uh, yeah, Frank Rizzo. Right. So he was, I think, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was coming up in the ranks then. I think he wasn't commissioner yet, but he was definitely coming up in the ranks if he wasn't already. So this is the kind of climate we had. And what they, what they stopped us for is they said, See that car behind us? There's a, a, a lady in a car and she was white. And 
she she apparently had rocks thrown in her car and the, and the police officers um by some children and the police officers said she identified you all and you're the ones that did it and we're going to have you arrested and you're going to have to pay for any damage to the car and, and you're going to have a criminal record and they just went on and on and on and we're standing we're like all like how could the, you know we're walking home from the playground we just you know have no idea and i immediately looked at the officer and looked at you know the person and i knew then that it was just not us but we looked like anyone that could be guilty of that of that skin tone so it was that identification just by color and that and that's that's sunk in all these years we're talking decades long and that that's that's the first and most um uh, impactful um at that age right so there have been other times where you know things are coming up but that's the first so i imagine that's got to leave like a a really I can't even imagine, like, I can't even start to, like, begin to imagine what that must have been like just for your psyche as a child, right? I mean, when you think about uh, the development of a kid, right? Like, when I think about my son being seven years old now and imagining things that are impacting him long term, like, what his development will be like, I mean, that's, that's an entirely different level of understanding, and now realizing that like people are treating you as if you are the other based on the color of your skin. Like what in, in your mind, like what were some of the things, if you can recall, I mean, I know it was, you know, it was probably, uh, it was a long time ago, but like what, yeah, yeah. I mean, like what was, what were the things that were going through your mind at that moment when that was happening? And then like afterwards, you know, cause I know you say you were crying, but like, how did that make you view the world differently? Like, did that change your outlook on things afterwards, like immediately afterwards, or was it like sort of a progression? You know, I, that's, a, that's a very interesting question because I, I think it, it had more profound impact on others that were with me. And I think my family network amongst my, you know, my immediate family and extended family um, helped to insulate me. You know, personally, my father is from a family of 12 from a small town in, in Ohio where, it, you know, the only high school was, quote unquote, integrated, but separate. And so I knew that distinct difference existed, but that was the first time it impacted me directly. So I always had like the eye out for that happening again. But I was terrified at the moment, and I always had a, a, a lasting impression that um, one that that the, the police, particularly police officers that did not look like me, quote unquote, color wise, um, um, may be may do something that they wouldn't be held accountable for, and that no one would ever know about because they could just scoop me up. You know, because they, I mean, they threatened to just take us. You know, we're like, my immediate thought was, how are my parents going to know where I am? Right? Because they didn't ask us where you live, where, you know, what's your, what's your telephone number, you know, what's your parents' name? We're going to take you to your house. Because that's what I'm used to. Our neighborhood was like, if you got in trouble, you got walked home and you, someone talked to your parents. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what I was used to, right? And, and I got in my share of trouble. But, but, it's, it, that, but to be, you know, threatened that you're going to disappear, right? You go to the to a police station. I had no knowledge of what even the police, inside of a police station even looked like. 
and and to be threatened with that at that age was was huge that is just like i can't I can't even like, again, like I said, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. And again, like context is king, right? Like that's always my thing, which we talked about. I share, I use that phrase all the time. Like Philadelphia in the late sixties, early seventies with Frank Rizzo. I mean, you know, hundreds of books, documentaries, movies, TV shows. I mean, you know, I'm trying to watch my mouth on the show here with you just because (laughs) professional courtesy but like Rizzo was a fucking asshole like right. Rizzo so was you open the door so I'm gonna worse. go through it myself <laughs> yeah go ahead yeah I mean, hey, that's what we're here for right like but like Rizzo was the epitome of racist almost like in a way he was like the like racist decadence inside of Philadelphia right like the man just cultivated a an, an energy where like no one was safe, right? Like I remember my mom, my mom works in, she worked in, in a lot of the hospitals in the city around the seventies. And she said they would bring in, you know, predominantly like uh, uh, black men who were beaten by the cops, thrown in the back of the cars, beaten like within an inch of their life. And they just rolled them in. And here are the cops using the racial slurs. And like Rizzo did nothing to stop it. And not only did he do nothing to stop it, but he actively promoted it, whether using the the actual words or the subtext of the policies and the things that he instituted. And it's like, uh, that must have, like that, I can't even, I don't even know what a world like that looks like. I mean, we sort of have an idea what it looks like now on like the national stage, right? But like in your neighborhood as a kid, when you don't yeah. even understand the ideas of this, you're like, holy yeah. shit, like yeah. they're going to throw yeah. me in the back of this car and I'm going to disappear yeah. forever, you know, because exactly. you can't, you can't imagine yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, so I guess did that, so if that didn't like sort of skew your world in a lot of ways, like, it first it reinforced the other aspect of it. And that there's this divide, there's an us and them kind of thing. You know, um, one of the other distinct memories is James Brown had a song, um, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, right? So that was a rallying cry for folks, that, you know, that were black, that that were marginalized so much to, to say, hey, you know, remember you have self-worth and, and so the, that was kind of still echoing in my mind, you know, so that I'm still in a neighborhood where I'm quote unquote, quote unquote, somewhat insulated because I have, you know, a community of folks that look like me and we, we, we are, you know, kind of striving together. But whenever we saw someone of another skin tone, a white person, it was, you know, that kind of experience that I had made me always look sideways, at least initially. and. I never, it never stuck to me, but it was always a subtext. It was always subconscious there. And when I would have conversations or when I would see someone, I would look for body language, words that was, that would either put them squarely in that, those officers and that, and the lady too. So the person that, you know, knew that we were not the the kids that threw the rocks, right? Probably knew it, but we were general enough by skin tone to say, yeah, just just blame them. That's what had even more of an impact because the officers ultimately let us walk home. They let us go, right? They scared the bejeebus out of us, and, and and but they let us go home. Now, had they swept swept us up and taken us in, I probably would have had a different view of them. But I look more towards that person that did the identification. And that's actually what I was going to come back to was, you know, in a lot of ways, even something as, as something as small as that, but something as, as large scale as Emmett Till, 
You know, and the Emmett Till situation happened because a white woman said a black man whistled at me and he just happened to be there. And, you know, unfortunately, we, we know what happened to him, you know, and, and, and it's just it's fascinating. I think that to me is the most troublesome. Right. I mean, out of everything that we could talk about with with racial relations in this country, like the idea that like white women still hold the power, so much power in this. I mean, you talk about the Central Park jogger, Central Park Karen, right? Like, yeah. like. She knew exactly what she was doing when she used that coded language. I'm going to tell the police that a black man is harassing me at the park. And it's like, you know what the fuck you were doing. You knew what you were saying. And it's like, it's, 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 it's a bias, right? It's a bias that, that you are ingrained with and it's ingrained into you as a kid. It starts in, 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 in your home. I mean, that's ultimately where it starts. It's the people that you grow up with. And I think it's, it, it leads into sort of that larger conversation that we talk about where it's like, you know, we worked together in an office down in Elkton, Maryland. That's how we met. And there was, I, I forget how, yeah, shout out to Stonegate. I forget how the conversation came up or how the, what even led to it, but maybe it was one of our colleagues at work or it was someone that came into the office who was asking me questions. That's what it was. It was a television that's yeah. it. Yeah, it was a yeah. resident. Well, some of those residents were not so great, but uh, <laughs> uh, we had uh, we had a call. Someone had called and was saying, "Oh, I had a maintenance request or something." I said, "Okay, great. You know, tell me who you talked to. Who was in the office? Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, the woman that worked there. It was the it was the black guy." <laughs> that worked there. Yeah, and I'm like. You know, so I'm like, oh, you mean, you know, the assistant manager, Jeff, is who you're speaking to, right? Is that who you're speaking to? Because there's Jeff and there's Amy in the office. And then I repeated that to you. And I'm like, in my mind, I didn't even like it. It didn't even register to me. But to you, it brought up this really fascinating thing that you kind of approached it with just not just that, but like the idea of, you know, uh, like using the term to, to sort of context and blow, blow it out, but race relations in the country. Like, yeah. tell me a little bit more about like that conversation that we had and kind of it just walk me back through it. Cause I, yeah. I, I just love, love hearing this idea. Cause it's such a, it's, it's unique, but it's not. It's yeah. And, and yeah. And it's that, that's the whole point that it's simplistic, but it's so complex because of the, uh, centuries, really the centuries of, uh, cultivation of the concept of race, right? And you know, I'm no historian by no stretch of the imagination, but you know, I, I am fascinated by that that four letter word, race, right? And and how it came about, and how it is blocking us from getting to this point of what we think is ending racism. And my the simplistic equation I have is that you can't end racism if you continue to use the word race, right? And, and that's the simplistic part of it. But how, how you get there is huge. It's, it's like, you know, moving from, hey, the world is flat to it's round. You know, that was, a, that was a thought, right? People believed that the world was flat at one point. It's like the, there was a thought before that everything, the solar system, uh, gravitated around the world. I mean, around our around our planet, rather. Uh, and it, it took years and years and years and decades and then hundreds of years to, to get from that to no, the sun is the the central point of the, the solar central system, uh, or at least our galaxy, at, at least. And and so shifting the cultural uh, thoughts around race is going to be that much of a, a shift. But it's a great place to, to be, right? So when you brought that up to me, 
immediately I wanted to I wanted to tell you about my house, right? I have four kids, uh, two are 18 right now. And, you know, shout out to Danny and, and to Evan, <laughs> That's right. which we may touch on, um, you know, Danny being your son and, and Evan being mine. So, um, but two of them are 18 now. Uh, they're twins, Evan and Alyssa. Alyssa uh, started out uh, at a school that was integrated, right? So totally, I mean, we're talking percentages wise, I don't know, 25, 30% black, um, you know, definitely uh, uh, a lot of folks, probably like 15 to 20% that were from other countries. And then, you know, the rest being quote unquote white. So she had no concept of the word race and skin color being a definition of deciding, not a, a defining factor in, in determining race. She, until she was seven years old, she hadn't, she would describe people based on characteristics and skin color was just one characteristic. So if we said, Hey, who'd you play with today at school? She would tell us names and then we'd go, wait a minute, there are two girls named, let's say Sue. And um, she would say, no, no, it's Sue with the long hair and she's really light skin or she, you know, she has brains and, and maybe she's, you know, uh, caramel color. Uh, and that's how she would identify when she was, so I, in my, most of my adult life would always not use that word white or black or race when I had conversations with folks. And I always thought it was fascinating how people would, if you're amongst someone of your own, let's say race or skin color, you can, you would identify and you can relate to this, right? You would identify someone just based on other characteristics other than skin color, right? Right. And so she's she has blonde hair. She, um, you know, this height. She's portly or not. You know, she's thin. Uh, and for me, it's like, yeah, he, you know, he's light skin. If I said light skin, it would have meant a light skin brown uh, or black person, right? And, and amongst my folks. But when I'm talking to someone of another race, then it becomes I gotta tell. I gotta say first. Is it a white person, a black person? Then, and then I can go into more of a descriptive, right? And that was me in my adult life. And when my when Alyssa came along and she came home from school one day and said, at seven years old, hey, mom and dad, what, what, is, what is this thing race? What does it mean to be a black person? She actually asked us that. We're like, wow. you know, what, how did you even, like, how did you even come to ask us that? And she says, our teacher was talking about Black History Month, you know, and and was talking about some folks that were, were quote unquote black, and, and mentioned that like Martin Luther King was was a, was a black, uh, is racist, you know, black or African American, and I and I, I'm wondering why why he's identified that way. Why are, why am I black? And and it was like we were floored, and, and it hit me that. This is this was the first time I realized she had, she had no concept of it, and she only viewed people on who they were, and the your skin color was a characteristic of how to identify you, and that's it. And I said to myself then, at that moment, that it's possible. What I had been thinking is possible that anyone could get to that place of saying, you know. You are who you are. You're an American, or and and your skin color is what it is, right? 
not it's not um I'm, I'm colorblind, right? I don't see color. Yeah, I don't see color. It's, it's just like the color of your eyes, the color of the shirt you're wearing, you know, your nail colors, you know, if you're wearing, you know, painted nails. It's just the characteristic. And that's, that's when it hit me. And so I was sharing that story with you. And that just took us, we just took a deep dive at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like pretty much every time we talk though, right? Exactly. You know, but the one thing, Adam, I'll share with you. I just want to share this with you because I don't think I've ever said this to you. I, I was overjoyed because you were the first person, quote unquote, that was white, that got it, that actually got it and had that conversation. I've had this conversation with other people who are quote unquote black, but, and, and they still challenge me, right, around how can I still view it that way? But they understood how that's possible, right? But you got it. And then said you know we just dove right in and just talked about like you know so what does that mean what does that mean you know big scale and and how do we get to the point where we are where this is the big division and, and how do you how do you get rid of that you know if for me it's like i have a lot of questions right but like i understood the concept of what you were saying and like i think the other thing too like with your daughter like it speaks to the fact that like not just that it can happen right but like and that it's it's possible but it also speaks to your ability as like a father to present that and and as the worldview that you want to see in the world like the change that you want to see in the world like you actually did that right and you had it for so long but it's 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 also too like it goes back to that original point we're talking about where it is it starts in the home right your daughter went to school and didn't even realize that you know she had darker skin than someone else or maybe had lighter skin than another dark skinned person like she just didn't realize it and well, didn't she use did it as realize a, it let me just correct it. she did realize but it was not a factor it wasn't a, uh, yeah exactly it wasn't an identifying factor for her yes. right and i think i think in my mind like the way you explain it to me and i've always kind of been that person like where it's i just you know, I guess with the LGBT background that I have, like understanding in some ways, and we, you know, we talked about this, like being a part of the, something that's considered an other, right? Like you don't know what that's, and I I will never know what it's like to have a different skin color and be treated differently because of that. But I do know what it's like to be a part of a marginalized group that is treated differently because of a factor that is completely out of their control, right? Like, like no one, no one chooses to be gay. No one chooses to be born with dark skin. Like it just is. And like, that gives me, for me, that's always given me a certain lens to look at things differently and, and, and approach the world in a much different way than somebody else who might look like me or, or, you know, or think like me or act like me. But I think it is important. And like, I think one of the things that I thought about, like while we were talking and it's like, you know, you talk about black history month and you talk about like Martin Luther King and, and, and this idea of erasing race, right. And erasing the idea of race. I thought about like maybe a challenge to that thought process. Right. And like maybe something that you could help kind of enlighten, like, you know, people who are like, well, I'm, you know, like the James Brown song to go back to it. Like I'm proud to be black, you know, like what would be your response to someone who was like, yeah, we want to erase race, but we don't want to erase who we are and our heritage, right? Because I think that's really important to remember in context, like black, quote unquote, black history has not been taught. Like I didn't know shit about Juneteenth until I had to look it up myself until I was in college and I read the book by Howard Zinn and then I got into Dr. Cornell West and, and uh, you know, Tanishi Coates and like all of these people that I had no idea and like I enlightened myself, I'm like, I never fucking knew about this, like, yes. you know, and like, and I think, I think what would be your response to someone who would say like, you know, yeah, we should erase race, but like, does erasing the idea of race erase 
um, like cultural significance or cultural importance? What would be your What would be your response to that? And and I would say to that person that that's the that's the huge turning like the the cruise ship around on a dime, you know. Yeah, right. and, and, and it's it's a challenge, right? It's good. It's complex. It's it, because it, it's woven. The concept of race is not only woven through history, um, and we expand that to education, right? It's in um, our judicial system. It's yeah. in our economic system. It's in our political world, and and most certainly, it's culturally in our uh, neighborhoods, or as they say, "quote unquote" communities. Right. Right. So, so, right. Right. So, <laughs> my challenge to that person is. Uh, we look at our history, the heritage, based on what occurred, right? Not where we're going. And and the history that you, and history is based on, you know, when you talk about history, you should be talking about facts that occurred in, in the past. And the facts that you were brought to life, that you were enlightened about, you found out, kind of on your own or organically through some other method or some encounter or something. And I'm saying that instead of making um, one month about focusing on, you know, and I, I, you know, just for the context of our conversation, focusing on black, black, black um, Americans who have contributed to this country's development, it should just be intertwined in that education. Right. So when we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about the development of America from its concept, you know, every, it, it should not be less than, you know, counting on one hand or two at the most, uh, the number of blacks that are identified along that continuum, because there were thousands and thousands that helped build this, nay, nay millions that helped build this country to where it is. Right. And, and it's just a matter of that that institution uh, or system of education being held accountable to include it, right? So it's not ignored, it's not erased, it's, it's celebrated, right? And, but where we go from here though, is, is the challenge I also have. And that is that when I hear folks say, you know, it's um, someone's um, um, taken something and appropriated that, uh, something that's black or something that's white or Latino, um, and 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 they don't have a right to that, and and that's my challenge is that to move beyond this whole thing of race, we got to identify that wherever that source is, it's, it's just the source, right? It's not us versus something that someone else has. Now, in the past, when this whole thing of race was an issue and was real, it was absolutely real, and that. The reason why um, most areas are um, segregated and most people look inward in terms of people that look like them is because it was part of the culture. It was part of government, right? It was part, it was, it was a part of that. But we're not there now, right? in term, at least in terms of children's thoughts, the generation that's, you know, the adults now that uh, were born <laughs> after 2000, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and, and so that great generation of World War II folks, that's about the last hurrah of holding on to the way it was, 
Right. Make America great again. Right. That's uh, the hurrah. You had to say it, Jeff. You had to go there. <laughs> you know that's part of our history too. Like we, <laughs> you know, you yeah. go there. man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Tremendous, fantastic, Jeff White, amazing guy. There's my, there's my African American over there. That's it. It's yeah, like, yeah. what the fuck, dude? Like, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? But I, it's, it but, goes but you know, to, it goes to this idea, like what you said with that generation thing, right? Like, like. I recall very clearly as a child, um, my great grandmother, born in 1909 on a Native American reservation in Oklahoma, would use very specific, pointed, racist terms in our presence as a child. And I remember like hearing these things and being like, what the fuck does that mean? Like mom and dad don't talk like that. You know, like my, my dad, like I don't cuss in front of my dad. Right. Like I, I rarely, if ever, unless I'm like really trying to dig him. Right. Cause you know, you got to dig your dad sometimes. Right. But like, like I rarely, I try hard not to, but like, I remember asking my dad after he picked us up and being like, dad, like, what is, what does this mean? And he'd be like, who did you hear that from? I go, Gigi mom said it, you know, she saw, uh, you know, John street or somebody on TV or whoever it was. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what the hell that means. And don't repeat that. That's terrible to say. And like, you know, a lot of members, I won't out them, you know, I, I should, but I won't, but like a lot of members of my family, you know, my extended family are still to this day use racial slurs and share racist or, or uh, homophobic or uh, anti-Semitic memes or stories. And it's like, it's, it's, it's fascinating when you say it's that generation, it's a generational divide because in their minds, in their head, they believe those stereotypes and they believe those ideas because that's what they were taught from the people who taught them. Whereas in our generation, we were not taught that way. You know, this is, we were taught like to identify and recognize it and then work against it. Right. And then work to the idea of, and I think you're sort of seeing that pay off to sort of tie that into this idea into current events. Right. You're sort of seeing the younger generations taking charge, not even just like elder millennials like me, but like Gen, Gen Z, um, you know, the, 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 the Zeners or whatever they call it, like the gen, the, whatever the hell the name is. I don't follow it. I have no time yeah. for it, but I like, lost track to Appa X. The, the <laughs> TikTok, why? Why right, the right. <laughs> the TikTok generation. I feel like that's yeah. what it's going to be called. But like, I mean, those, these are us. We are the ones that are showing the change in society, right? And like, we're the ones that are out there marching. We're the ones that are out, and it's 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 people of all skin colors. It's people of all walks of life that are just like, no, we're not going to fucking deal with this anymore. This is yeah. not how the world works. And I think it goes to your point where it is. It's very much so. It's a it's learned behavior that can be unlearned, but by using your technique, it can be undone even further, right? right. And I, and that's what and it, I it love. So one much person about. at a time. But then you once you get a one person at a time starting to think that way, because it's because to me, I you know I, when I look at someone, I'm talking to you, and I I, I can't blame you for how we got here, right? Right. But I can hold both of us accountable for where we go from here. And if I say to you, you know, I I don't I'm not colorblind. Right. I see you. I see your complexion. You see mine. That it's just an identifying factor. It just lets me know if I if I um, got pulled over by the police um, that they would not pick up the phone or their, their, my, their um, radio rather and say, you know, I have a black male. They would say I have someone who a male who's six three who has an ah let's say almond complexion or or has a you know uh, caramel complexion. 
uh, brown eyes, right? Very close cut haircut. <laughs> and, and, and that would just be another identifying factor. But when I say, uh, when the call goes out on the radio, you know, be on the lookout for a black male, what do you instantly go to? This perception of a black male being a threat, right? Can I tell you about a story with that? So I told, yeah. you about, I told you about the first encounter. Okay. This, this just reminded me of my, my latest encounter, which was probably about a year or two, which I, I don't think I've ever told you the story. A year or two before I, I, you know, we met, um, I, you know, as you know, I had a, a small company and we, we did a lot of work for mortgage companies and we did a lot of work on vacant uh, properties that were residential in residential areas. In Southern, in the Southern, well, we shouldn't identify where it is, but <laughs> I was out filling in this for- is a a safe, This is a safe place, Jeffrey. You can say whatever you'd like to. Southern Delaware, which in, in large part, when you go south of Dover in Delaware, you may think you're in a, a, a south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? <laughs> Ain't that the goddamn truth? Yes. Right? Jesus. So I, was, I went down <laughs> to an area that was really you know far south in Delaware, filling in for a crew, I, I'm there at a, a, a property that someone used to live at that was vacant and I was there pretty much eight, maybe eight hours probably. And what we would do is we would secure the property for uh, someone that's vacated the property for a mortgage company that still had, you know, title over the property. And then, they, and then we would proceed to help them fix it up to put it back on the market for sale. All right, that was kind of Got a So I'm there all day. Next to me, he's out playing with his kids. He sees me there. We're fine. Hey, how you doing? And, and I'm going on and on. So as the day wears on, I'm finishing up. The sun's starting to go down. Um, I notice that there's a car parked in the street where I'm going to need to back out. And I'm in my pickup truck. I need to back out and, and leave, right? We changed locks there. We take pictures all around the property. So I'm taking photos all around the property. We put big stickers on the sign saying, hey, contact the mortgage company if you see anything wrong with the property. We, uh, we want to maintain the property. You know, we don't want it to deteriorate. Um, um, we cut the grass. We, we do all these things. And winterize if it's in the winter. Now, this was towards November. So I had spent time inside winterizing the property so pipes don't freeze uh, and so we 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 extricate all the water from all the pipes so i i'm doing it and i leave and i'm ready to leave and the cars just parked there so i'm like you know well are you going to move and they're not in the parking space they're kind of in the middle of the street and the lady's standing there with another lady and they're talking and they keep glancing up and keep glancing up and i'm like at me and i'm like and it's a long driveway and i'm like wondering what's going on finally um a, a couple of police cars pull up behind them. No, no lights. They just pulled up. And so uh, I'm thinking that they knew him. They, they, maybe that's her husband. Maybe that's you know, someone they know. And they just start talking. They're just talking at this point. My, and, that's, and, and, and so I let that go for a couple of minutes. And I said, you know, I got to leave. So and it's getting darker now. So it's twilight. You get glimmer of light left. So I start walking down the driveway and three of the officers rushed to the driveway stop you stand don't go any further and drew their guns and pointed them at me stop yes they pointed their guns at me one went down on his knee and was pointing at the other two were just pointing don't you take another step 
and, and, you, and you know, instantly, you know what went through my mind? I'm fucking pissed off. How dare you point your gun instead of I might be shot at any second, right? I did not have that thought of, you know, they can shoot me. I'm I'm pissed. I'm like, I'm yelling at them. What the fuck are you pissing me? Why are you pointing your gun at me? What what are you doing? What are you? and they're like, stand here, don't move, don't move. And I'm like, and I I, I it did not even dawn on me that I'm in this situation where there are three white officers. One actually ended up being the chief of the police of that area. And um, the other two were just officers, but I didn't know that at the time. And, and they're and I just didn't get that aspect of three white officers. I'm black, I'm that black male, right? I'm thinking I'm the professional working for the company, you know, securing his property to help keep this neighborhood up. That's what I'm thinking. And they're thinking, no, you're the black criminal and we may shoot you because you're a threat. And, and I'm still yelling at them, like, what the hell are you doing? You're pointing a gun at me. Don't point that fucking gun at me. I'm done yelling at them. And they're, and they're like saying, stay there. Don't. So finally, I just, I just stopped. I, somebody came over and said, just stop talking. So I stopped talking and they walk up to me, right? Still, a couple guys still had their guns drawn. And I'm like, the chief, the chief walked up to me and says, look, just, if you could just be still for a second and, and let's find this, you know, who are you? What are you doing at this property? While they still had guns pointed at me. And I said, you know, first of all, I, I'm not having a conversation with guns pointed at me. Right, put the gun? fucking guns down and then we'll yeah. talk, yeah. What are you doing? And so he told them to kind of chill. I, I started explaining to them what I was there for and they were totally dumbfounded, right? But still, I'm still a threat, right? So then they said, you'll prove it. So I gave them the paperwork that we always bring to show people while we're at the property. Uh, you know, it's from the, the, the mortgage company. It says specifically what we're gonna be doing, has my information, my, I have my business card, everything was there. And you know what the one officer says to me? You're at the wrong freaking property. And I said, I, no. No, right. So he's trying not to be accountable. Finally, they look. They they got it. They're like, oh no, he's at the right property. And then the, the chief says to me, "This is yeah. This this is all happening. Like, what? This is all." <laughs> he says to me, "You know, we got a call from a resident to to our um, dispatcher that there was an armed black male um, robbing a house." Yes. What? That's the call that went in. Armed black male. Now, mind you, they didn't pull up with sirens. They didn't come rushing to that property to kind of secure it. They pulled up as if they knew the person that they were talking to. And then it hit me that that person that called was one of the ladies that was in the street blocking me from pulling out, but never approached me. She never said, hey, how you doing? You know, what's going on there? What are you doing there? And none of that. And, and it instantly hit me. And I, I started yelling at him again. How dare she, you know, try to falsely accuse me of something that had nothing, I, there was nothing in the property because the people moved out. So it's totally vacant. Vacant place, yeah. No items out of the house. I brought nothing out. I'm taking photos of the, of the property. I'm, I'm plastering signs on the property. All these identifying factors that make it totally clear that that's not it. And, and that, also, you know, just reinforced to me the power of someone, you know, talk about a caring, that's reinforced to me that 
that person could make that kind of call. And I demanded that, you know, that, that I be looked at as the victim here. And, you know, the, the, the chief started apologizing emphatically, um, you know, yeah, yeah. The other officer, yeah. oh, they, they like reaching out their hand to shake my hand. No, put your fucking hand away, put yeah. your fucking gun away and shove it up your ass, dude. I have, I have like, I, I, there is so much to sort of like go back on about this situation where it's like the first thing that popped into my head when you started telling me this was the story about um, Henry, Henry Louis Gates, the yes. professor with the, when that happened with the Obama and then they had the beer summit and like Obama goes on stage and he's like, yeah, this was a really stupid thing to do. And it's like, yeah, it was a stupid thing to do. Like that was my thought in my head. Right. Cause I like, and I'm, I'm going to try to like sort of, piece this out because I have so many responses right now. It's like, I, I'm thinking about it and it's like, they harassed Dr. Gates at his house. Why the fuck does he need to prove that this is his house? He lives here. He's telling you he lives here. Why are you continuing? And then you arrest him, right? So, like, so how quickly that situation could have gone from a Dr. Gates to an Ahmad Arbery situation or an Alton Sterling or a Philando Castile, right? Like how quickly that could, you could have been Jeffrey White could have become part of the lexicon, another, uh, you know, black male who was killed by the police department. And then I'm thinking in my head as that thoughts crossing through my mind and I actually jotted this down. It's like this idea, right? Like people have this idea, this concept of the, the scary black guy, right? The thug that everybody wants to use, which we all know what that's code word for, but they have this idea that like, Oh, the big scary black guys come in to uh, harass us and do these things. And it's like, you know, the first thing that happens in the news cycle, specifically the conservative Fox news world is they try to find anything they can, you know? Oh, uh, Trayvon Martin was smoking weed and Alton Sterling had a parking ticket from six years ago and Philando Castile, you know, uh, winked at a woman in, you know, 1984. And it's like, you know, so we're, we're basically like what happens is it's the demonization of, of the victims in this scenario, right? Like just to take Philando Castile as a, as a shining and glaring example, like this man identified to the officer that he was a card carrying member, not only a car, uh, had a card carrying member of the, of the NRA, but also had a permit to carry the gun that he had. And instead of allowing the man to pull the permit to show the officer, the officer pulled his gun out and shot him in the chest and he bled to death on Facebook Live. So now we're saying, now the conversation becomes, instead of saying, holy shit, the cops just executed this man in, in his car, the conversation becomes, well, what, what did he what, do yes. to deserve it? Yes. What was Philando Castile doing? Maybe if he hadn't resisted, he wouldn't have been shot. Just follow the directives. Yeah. So why are we now looking for evidence to show that this, like, why do, that's always my question too, is like, why is it always specifically like black people in this country are the ones who are looked at and we have to find evidence to show their criminality in order to justify an unjust murder And that's what the narrative becomes, right? Like Trayvon Martin was walking to the fucking store to grab Skittles and a can of iced tea. And all of a sudden now he's a gangster. He's a thug. He listened to rap music. Like 
I listened to rap music. I smoked weed. Like I did all the same things that Trayvon Martin did at his age. And I used to walk to Seven Eleven at night to get Skittles and candy and blunts and whatever the fuck else I could get my hands on. Right. <laughs> we all did it. But the difference being is that if I was shot in that same scenario, they wouldn't be looking at me saying, oh, well, what did Adam Bernard do? He was such a thug. He was a gangster. He was a criminal. They're not vilifying me in the public sphere. So like, that's what fucks me up, man. And like, and I, I don't know how that makes you feel like when you see these stories, right? When you see these things that happen in the news and you're like, you know, just, I mean, even George Floyd, George Floyd was crushed to death for eight, like, what was it? Seven minutes and 49 yeah. seconds or seven, eight minutes and 46 so, seconds. Yeah. We watched yeah. it and they're yeah. still trying to vilify him. And it's like, this is, you're missing this point. And I think until we can have that honest conversation, not just about race relations and, and, and about like the way that police is handling how that's actually, that's a good question. Maybe I'll ask you that as far as like in the idea of term, right? This idea, the, the, what, just, just tell me again, yeah, term. Term is T E R M term, the erase race movement. So it's not about like organizational kind of thing. It's a movement to get rid of the whole concept of race, but it crosses all the lines that you're, you're, you're in areas, right. all these areas that you're speaking about. And so, that's my question. Say. That's my question is how do you, how does term like, how does, how would term jive or, or, or live in the world of this idea of the current status of policing in this country? Like, you know, you could have a conversation about defunding the police or, or working to um, enact meaningful, Mm -hmm. uh, initiatives to mm -hmm. stop things like what happened to George Floyd or Philando Castile from happening, mm -hmm. better mm -hmm. training motives and better um, psychological training. How do these two worlds like jive? How do you see term working inside of um, mm -hmm. uh, police mm -hmm. uh, reform? How would that work? But, and, 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 and you know, my, the way my mind works is I try to get to the, 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 the most simple <laughs> level it's, you can get. You the know? simplest answer is usually it's the right one, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I, I don't want to complicate things by talking about, you know, systemic this and, and you know, we have to have, you know, conversations and, and all this, uh, the training around sensitivity. It's not that, right? It, there's only a few things that, that are easy, easily done, but difficult in the culture, in the climate, rather, the climate that we're in politically. Right. Potentially, but particularly politically and also culturally. So within the police department, I'm not looking to defund the police. But of course, uh, some of the thoughts that folks have around directing some resources to other areas that make more sense. You know, if you have someone that's having a you know, mental stress, then you don't necessarily have to send police um, or crisis or mental crisis. You, you send someone that has that expertise. That makes sense. Right. Sure. Um, some of the medical things, like, you know, even homeless, you know, why send the police to deal with homelessness, right? Do we have advocates that, that, that can take care of that a lot easier? That, that makes sense to me. The issues that wind up with, you know, quote, you know, black males being shot evolve around the, the one, the realization that uh, systemic racism is everywhere. It's, you know, we, you and me, are in a systemically racist society, right? And it's because we use race to separate us, right? The moment I'm in a race called Blacks, I'm separated from you, who is in a race called Whites. So, of course, we're going to look at each other differently because we're forced to because of that 
definition, um, of their cultural definition. And um, in, in the police world, it always had that negative connotation, particularly with being black, right? So anytime a call goes out and says black male, immediately officers get a thought in their mind because of that identifying factor. And I would say that's the first thing we'll do is take away that racial component of identification. If you're identifying anyone, you identify them by characteristics and skin color or tone or pigmentation is one characteristic, not some cultural grouping, right? So that's one thing I would do if I had the power to wave a wand and do it, right? So this is the whole ship turning around thing, right? How do we do it? <laughs> the second thing would, would be we absolutely need to make um, changes to um, what, I guess, rights, I would say, officers have when they, when they um, violate what the laws that we all the rest of us are accountable to, right? So you clearly look at a, um, George Floyd and you clearly see this person going way beyond what his training took him to, right? And, and that, should, that accountability should be very clear. And, and, and officers should be held when they cross that line of where they are an officer and it crosses over to uh, criminal, then they should be treated criminally. And there should be no police union. There should be no um, blue wall you know, that, should, that should protect them from being accountable. That's, that's thing number two. Now, do you think that it is at all possible for that type of um, accountability to be done. Let's just say bare minimum, right? Like, let's just say, what do you, th- like, well, I should say, let me, let me rephrase the question. Let me, let me back it up and, and, and ask a, a different question. Um, do you think that, or why do you think rather, um, the American populace at large are unable to have conversations uh, realistic conversations without becoming like a giant shit show um, about holding police accountable. What do you think that is? Do you think that is like ingrained or like baked into the fact of the systemic racist society we live in? Or do you think it's just people uh, being willfully ignorant of the surroundings? Like what, what do you think that stems from and why do you think it becomes such a, an issue for people? Cause in my mind, right? Like I, the way I look at it, even something like Breonna Taylor, that is a slam dunk case for the prosecutor these guys went above and beyond i mean that these are the facts right this isn't not my progressive leftist bernie spin these are the facts this is what happened to that poor woman regardless of who she was hanging out with regardless of what she did in her life again the demonization of of the of the black culture it doesn't matter she was shot in her home in her bed they they the guy the cop licked off nine shots and he was only charged because he shot into another apartment, not even at other people, just an apartment. Like, why do you think it's so difficult for these people, for for, uh, Americans, not these people, but like Americans to have this conversation about police injustice? Before before I answer that, let me just say, did you know that the district attorney, I don't know if they call it district attorney, I think they call it attorney general for the county that they're in, that, that did not bring the charges there is black. I did know that I did. Yeah. So, and I saw so, that and it was like, so that speaks. Yeah. And, he's, and, he, and if, if you ever heard him speak, 
I can guarantee you he's Republican, right? So he is actually, yeah. he is. There's photos of him with like uh, Mitch McConnell and those yeah. guys. It's Kentucky. So yeah, yeah he's a Republican. Yeah. His speech. So, so, and that crosses the political world, right? There is so many things reinforcing that, that, that concept of not holding police officers accountable because they are law enforcement and we're, we're supposed to bow to law enforcement. Um, because they're law enforcement, right? And not that they're individuals that make up the group called law enforcement. And I'm saying that um, we have to break it down to the individual, right? And and people, you know, because I don't think it's sensitivity training. I think it's certainly um, around what you bring, your biases that you bring to that job. And I don't think it's hard to spot it because most people make it plain, right? And, but it's with the, the the challenge I have for um, um, the management chain in, in the police departments, the uh, district attorney's offices, the police unions, is them holding themselves accountable to those same laws. And who does that? We do that. And that's my that's the biggest challenge that the individuals within that community cannot let, not necessarily nationally, but in that community, because it always bubbles up nationally once you start in-house, right? So the people in that community should never let go of all the facts that you pointed out in, in this case and be there until it gets driven to the point where they act, right? They didn't even hold a grand jury until after, if it wasn't for, you know, unfortunately, this is so unfortunate, it took George Floyd to even reawaken Breonna Taylor's issue. That happened months and months and months ago, and they weren't going to do anything. That was pre-COVID, man. That was pre-COVID that that went down. And it it's like, yeah. It, <laughs> it, yeah. What that says to me, though, is, you know, I, one of the things I, 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 I always um, tell my um, wife is that we are fortunate in this time to have the technology we have, right? And that is so key in, in showing the facts that, you know, Blacks, I guess we'll say Blacks used to say existed in the past, but had no documentary evidence to show. Now you have real time footage, right? The other thing is that um, there are so many more uh, you know, just for a second, see, I always have to put this conversation. There's so many people that look like me in places of empowerment, right? That if they use those positions to begin to break down those stereotypes, break down this, the whole views around, you know, people in boxes based on color, then that would help. No, I break it down as well. And I, I always use this analogy, not analogy, this example. Um, so we had, you know, our quote unquote first black president. We have quote unquote the first black woman running for vice president, right? Historical because they are the first that have the skin pigmentation that we're speaking about. However, if I truly looked at Barack Obama and his lineage, he is the, he is what can be considered a true African-American. His father was African, his mother was American. 
Right. I'm not. I'm not necessarily African American, right? I have um, multiple lines of lineage within me, but I am considered African American or Black solely because of my pigmentation, right? And I'm saying he was not. You know, Barack Obama was not the first "quote unquote" Black because Black president because. He had a, a white mother. So what does that make him? A 50% black? Or first black? Or, you know, yeah, like, you know what are the percentages here? We need to know the percentage breakdown on that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and had his pigmentation with that same mix, right? Had he been a lot lighter, we would have to stretch and go like, hey, wait a minute. His father was black, but, you know, he doesn't fit this mold of being black, you know? And, and mm-hmm. there are people like that that fit that mold, right? Right. Um, and same thing with uh, uh, Kamala Harris. Her mother, Indian, from India, Indian, and father, Jamaican. She's not African-American in the truest sense. She's Jamaican-American, if you really want to look at it. She's Jamaican-Indian-American, right? Yeah, like the context, right? Jamaican-Indian-American, absolutely. If you want to use the hype. And here's my my other thing. I always get kicked out. I used to always get kicked out. I never, you know, I... One, I'm so thankful for this, this this forum that you have because I'm saying a lot of things I've only said to like very, very close circle folks. And they will laugh at me, but they know it would be true, right? So I used to always marvel at how when I would be amongst um, other, like, particularly coworkers um, in, in, in my, my life of uh, my career. So I would be talking to folks and, and, and if they're white, and we were talking about family. And he goes, yeah, I met a, a nice Irish woman and I sat at the sat it down. You know, my mom wants me to meet a, a nice Catholic um, man and, and get married. Or, you know, yeah, um, I'm Italian. So, you know, we always have, you know, pasta like two or three times a week, you know. But I'm looking at them going, dude, you're, you're probably like four generations American. <laughs> Right. Have, you know, you never know, been to the home country. country. Yeah, never been there. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You met. Yeah, you don't know a lick of Italian, right? You don't even speak it, right? And, and yeah. so, but but they, but that in, that entitlement piece, they get to identify that lineage just on what they know, right? And I'm saying what my push is part of my push of term is that um, those that are in the African American grouping. We need to de- decouple ourselves by one uh, having the ability to to trace lineage, and two by looking at. Now here's another funny thing. So so folks say like um, I'm Italian American, I'm Irish American. Those are countries, right? Right. Why, why, why did someone who's brown skin get relegated to a continent? Right, <laughs> Africa's fucking huge. Like it's this massive place. Yeah, right, right. And I, I think it's the it's it's this idea. It makes white people comfortable, right? And I think that's what it boils down to. It makes and white it's li- history too. Right, right. right. But also, all, it, 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 it does that, that across before that we talked about. You know, cultural, uh, economic, uh, educational, government, right, political. All those things reinforced that if you had a skin, the, the, the constitution itself, right? Three-fifths, the three-fifths yeah. co- uh, compromise, yeah. the three-fifths provision. Exactly. Like, like, it, like slaves were seen as, slaves were seen as three-fifths of a person. This country, and again, facts, right? Facts. Context is king, 
facts here. It's literally written and baked into the beginning documents of our of our society, right? And I think that goes into a conversation we've talked about before too, like with this idea because like the statues thing was happening huge when we first started working together in early 2019, and you know, like this idea of like you know, whoa, we're losing our heritage and and this that the other, like like first of all, being a trader on the Confederate army is not heritage, right? You're a fucking traitor. First and foremost, let's make sure we're clear. But second of all, like it's, it's the, the conference, you just can't have a conversation with people, honestly, about this idea that like these represent systemic and brutal oppression of a group of people. Robert E. Lee, I don't give a fuck what Robert E. Lee stood for in his life. He fought for the South, which wanted to reinforce slavery. The Civil War was fought about slavery. It is fact, undeniable fact. And the fact that we have to have these conversations and argue about the fact that statues exist that that represent Stonewall Jackson or Robert E. Lee, like, sure, put them in a museum with proper historical context. Don't put them in the middle of Charlottesville. I don't want to see that shit. That's not where they belong. And the fact that we still are enforcing these ideas goes to the fact that like people just are unable to see past this idea of race. Like another thing where like people say to me all the time, we're like, Oh, I don't see color. Well, that's bullshit because you do. And it's not about, it's not about seeing, it's not about seeing color. It's about the idea that you're acknowledging uh, biases that you are ingrained in your head that, again, are not your fault, that you were given as a child or however it happened, but also understanding what the idea of privilege means because that's a, that's a complicated conversation for people for some reason too. Like I just it's, – it's, it's such a level of, of disconnect. Like it's a cognitive disconnect for some reason, and I just can't figure it out. Well, it's because it's it's cut all those areas, right? It's cut through all those areas. It's you know when we say institutionalized, you know a lot of folks don't can't grasp what that actually means, and it, it means that it's it's ingrained in all those areas that that we've been speaking about. You know, education, you know, politics. Um, it, when you really start to look at it um, from those levels, you chip away at each one of those systems to be more um, to to be less. Uh, focus on that, that that grouping of race and more about two things. One, skin color just being a characteristic of who you, what you look like, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing, second thing is moving away from uh, racism as being a connotation of like this negative thing of being biased towards someone because of their skin color. Right to calling it really what it is, it's bigotry, right? Because right. bigotry is about looking at someone who has is other, right? And, and and whatever that is, whatever that other is, and that's truly what it is. So if we stop saying racism, because racism can only be talked about if you continue to talk about race, right? I can only be in a separate bucket from you if we continue to use race. You take that away, now we're both Americans. Right. You just have a you just look a little different than I do. Right. And now we can talk. Now let's talk about you on one side of the line or the other. Right. Because clearly I can say to you, okay, now if I take away race and we're both Americans, when you view me, do you view me as someone other? Right. And if you say yes, then you're it's bigoted. (laughs) That's what it is. And if I say yes. I am too, because there's plenty of people too that I talk to. I've had this conversation with some of my um, elders, I'll call them, aunts and uncles, 
And they're, they're going, no, Jeff, it's it's in the Bible. It's, it's this, it's that. You can never trust. You can't, you know, they're blue-eyed devils and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, you know, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going through my mind. But, you know, I have to put it in, you know, the whole context, this king thing. I got to put it in context. What they have been through, you know, they're, they're the generation that was going to high school where they had a fountain that had the word colored over top of it and the one white and you couldn't drink from the white they're the ones that had to sit in the back of the bus or right. not get on the bus if, if they lived they lived plessy Ver they ferguson did. they lived that shit right so they they to me you know are you get a pass right to, to express it. but what i hear them saying later on is see they, they go back to history what they experienced but then they put themselves in the context of where we are today Right, and then that, right. the little the little glimmer of sunshine comes through where they go, but uh, I see what you're, you're talking about in terms of where we could go, right? If, and and then they would go disclaimer. Oh, if they white people looked at it that same way, then maybe I can look at it that way too. And right. I'm saying, well, yes, we can force people to be on one side, either I'm bigoted or I'm not. Because we know if they call you racist, that means you got to have to interject the word race, right? Get rid of race. It makes it clear this distinction is what side of that line am I on? If I'm open to understanding that there is bias that I have because I'm I am truly looking at you differently because of your skin color. Now we can really get to the, the bottom of it. One of the things I wanted to kind of tie back to with what we were talking about um, was with your daughter and. Yes how you said about how she didn't look at it as a, as a defining characteristic as a quote unquote race or skin color as a, as a defining characteristic. Um, again, like I said, it, I think it speaks to the volume of how powerful that idea is and how you can ingrain something other than biases into impressionable minds as children, right? We, we don't talk, we don't use any, any of those words here at this house. Um, we promote tolerance of all kinds here in this house. And, um, you know, the kids went with us to a Black Lives Matter uh, protest in, in Westchester and that, you know, it really left a, a mark on them. I, I feel like my oldest too. Um, how do you think that the idea, that idea of term that you put into practice with your daughter how, what does that look like on a grand stage? Like if Jeff White, again, with your magic wand, Jeff White has the, the magic wand and he's going out and he's going to promote term and he's going to fix everything in this country. Um, and the idea of using race as a characteristic, how do you see that working? And do you think it's possible? I, I absolutely do think it's possible. And that, you know, I, I, I've seen it. You know, we've lived it. Right. For at least that first seven years of my daughter's life, we actually lived it and we still live it. Right. We still struggle to, you know, have to put people in those buckets. Right. We well, struggle. true, because but also, too, because of the fact that like things like George Floyd, the, the murder of George, George oh, Floyd. No, I, I mean, by, what I mean by struggle, Adam, what I actually mean by uh, struggle using the word black, using the word. Black. I see. I see. Sorry. Yeah, using the word yeah. race. We struggle with those three components. We struggle with. Try, calling someone black, we 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 more gravitate to, uh, and we do it naturally. Now, the only time we really kind of break out of that is if we're amongst others that don't have that that ability, like we do, to talk amongst ourselves. That hey, we can identify someone just by saying, hey, they're really light skin or they have long blonde hair. Um, you know, 
that's the struggle we have is that we we we're, we force ourselves to have to call people white and call people black. We do. We really do. I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, and and that, what I'm saying, and, 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 and what I say is that the reason why I think it's possible is because we we live it, right? And I know that others can live it too. And, and the, the 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 challenge that I have is that, um, and how I see it working is getting out and in, into any environment, uh, be it another uh, a podcast like this, uh, radio shows, TV show, getting out and having this open discussion. And then the first piece being putting out the challenge of we got to take away the word race to have this conversation. Are you up to that challenge? And as you start talking, and, or, and then if I challenge you also to say, you know, every time you use the word black or white, you have to look at yourself and say, or am I using that because I've been like, it's, it's, it's the only way I can identify someone or can I use some other identifying factor? Or do I have that bias that, yeah, if you are that skin color, then you are an other, right? Because if, you, if you're honest enough to say that without using a race, like using the word race, then you're in a, you're in that, you've crossed that line. You can't, you can't hide behind it. You can't tell me you're not a racist because I'm not calling you a racist, right? We're taking it right, away. Right. I can call you bigoted. I can say you, you, you have bigoted thoughts and, and, and that to me is stronger, right? I also believe waving that magic wand that, that any, all laws associated, particularly like the hate crime laws, um, should be, centered around and have enough teeth in them that any crime committed that is truly linked to bigotry should have like, like felony context to it. And Agreed. We sh that should be like there, right? Um, in employment, I, I'll share this with you. Like if, if I were to fill out an application now and, and, and I stopped doing anything or I fill out some information, and, and they put down, this is, um, you know, optional, but we would like to know what your race is. You ever see what those options, what the, the, the options are? And, and, yeah. and it's like, there's all over the place, like Hispanic, but you're not born in America. It's this, it's this, you know, if you have like a, a toenail that's like one longer than the other toenail, you know, it's, <laughs> you're in this race. It's, it's ridiculous, right? And, and it is, yeah. It's that, totally. that furthers the bond. So getting rid of that, right? Getting, there are ways that we can still get the statistics that we want to measure because that's the other argument that I get is how do we still keep track of the inequities that have um, that have been generated because of that history and and I'd say because we we are so advanced technology uh, wise or technologically wise that we are able to if we challenge ourselves still get that same statistical information without having to put people in buckets. If I live in a neighborhood where I know most people look at me, the neighborhood should be the focus, not the fact that it's an, a, a black community, right? right. The neighborhood right. should demand that. And that's the other thing is that each individual has to demand. When I hear folks, that, my, my wife, we were just talking about this today. Um, we saw something occur and she says to me, do you think that's an example of white privilege? And I say, okay. But you know what? When I do this, where you know, I give an example, I'm claiming American privilege. You want to call it black privilege? I had, and, and then I say to her, right. I said to her, I'm claiming the same level of privilege that that person has or has claimed. And if they challenge that I don't uh, merit that privilege, 
The issue's with them, not me, because I'm an American. If they, if they claim it, I can claim it, right? And that's the other stand-up thing that people who are that brown-skinned or black folks need to really look at is that you have to empower yourself to demand the same level of privilege that every white American that thinks that they have an advantage um, claims. And if it's if it's as long as there's equal footing in that respect, or it's legal, <laughs> that 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 privilege you're claiming, I you know I gotta put that. So as long as it's legal, then you should claim it, right? And and dare someone to um, take it from you or challenge that you don't deserve it. That's that's how we step towards that, right? Because then that other person right. has to respect me, and 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 because I'm claiming the same thing, uh, and I get more. I don't look at you. Um, as quote unquote a white person, as having something you know over me because I can claim the same thing. Um, that's 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 a huge part of it is claiming that privilege. The other thing though is um, when we look at how we interact, right? How we interact with each other. Understand that that is not about. Um, I don't come from, I don't come at it from a place of I'm in a certain race and, and here's my uh, beef with you because you're from another race. I look at it as I'm an American first. Here's all the things that apply to Americans that you hold dear to, right? That you think are different because of who you are that I'm saying, no, I don't think that are same for both of us. And, and the way that our, um, our society is currently, the state that we're at currently, I, I think now is the time to challenge all those systems and break them apart and say, look, look inside. The history was all those things that were talked about, uh, white privilege, um, you know, the black man being a threat, they, were, they are true historically to the present. But we don't have to continue down that line and allow ourselves to do that. Now, those that want to, you know, um, the, the white supremacists, you know, you, you're not going to undo that. Right. So, so but they get no teeth. They get no power unless they get numbers and um, consent from others, you know, either uh, with, with the silent consent, the, the, the silent, silent consent. consent. That's yep. the piece. And then so we have to shed light on it. And to me, how can you be a white supremacist if there's no if there's no white people, if you're just all Americans? So, you know, so I laugh at you. Right. That's the other thing is that, that because of the systems that we had before, you could have that privilege and claim it openly. Yeah, I can call the police and say a black man is coming to you know, harass me and know that I'm going to get that response because it's in this system that has always been existing. It's now breaking down because we do have the technology. Right. Because we can show that that that's what the, the, the basis of that bias was about. But also that um, there are many folks that don't have that more that we can remove that whole concept of um, uh, systemic meaning that all levers of systems have it baked in. Right. And more openly include not having race be a part of it it will start to unravel itself. 
Right. It'll take the teeth out of it itself. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll start to, if you, it, it, it will, it will auto undo itself yes. because it's yes. no longer designed like, to be possible. Once you get that rock right. going down a hill, it's, it's just going to roll off. and snowball on itself. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's just going to, it's going to undo itself because it's now designed to yes. undo itself. I, I love how hopeful you are in the context of this situation because a lot of times, I'll be honest, man. I watch the news and I see these stories. And again, like you talk about this idea of, um, you know, filming, right. And having the technological advances, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm young, you know, I'm 35, but oh, I mean, you. Don't thanks, rub it in either. <laughs> thanks buddy. I appreciate that. But like, I mean, what was it? 1992 when Rodney King happened, I, have vivid memories of the Rodney King. I remember where I was when Rodney King happened. I remember where I was when the OJ Simpson slow speed chase took place and the conversations that were happening about, you know, quote unquote race relations in this country that were taking place when the OJ Simpson case happened, right? Like I remember all of those things. And I often think about like, not, not that OJ is, is a part of what I'm going to say, but like, I often think about Rodney King and I often think about where we are now in context to where we were then with Rodney King. And I think about things that like Ice-T and NWA and all those guys used to, you know, write their lyrics and rap about. It's like, how many of these cases are out there? from before Rodney King and after Rodney King that were not filmed. And even that happened today. I mean, like I said, Jeffrey White could have been a name on that list and no one would have known about it. No one would have seen it. And the conversation would have been, what was Jeff White doing? What was he, what was he up to in that house? Why was he there? What's in his record? Oh, Jeff White, you know, threw a rock at a van in 1983. So of course he deserved to get like, it's like, it's just, it's, it, it, it causes me great stress and it, it, it takes the, it takes a lot of those like warm and fuzzy feelings away from being hopeful about the situation for change. But when I talk to you about this and I challenge myself, you know, I, one of the things to kind of like tie everything back together before we wrap up was like, I challenge myself on a day-to-day basis to employ the, the idea of term. So I'm at my office in the city and uh, I think it was a vendor that had come in or somebody had come in and was talking and, and they were saying, oh, you know, I was up there at the apartment and, or I was up at the, the front desk and, and uh, um, you know, I was talking to the black girl at the desk and this is like, uh, you mean the, the, the dark skinned woman that was sitting at the desk, right? No, 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 the black girl, you know who I'm talking about. Yes, the dark skinned woman that was sitting at the desk, like continue. Why are we fighting about this topic? You know, like I'm trying to now challenge myself to not acknowledge him when he uses the term, but also pushing back on him to challenge his biases and his thought process that made him say those things. So like, and and you did, and I guarantee you, you did that just by those words. Remember the other um, older vet that was down the stone gate? Like, yeah. How could I forget him? Yeah. I will never forget him. Remember the first few encounters. But then I said to you later on, watch how he interacts with me now, because we both, you and I both set that, Ground rules, like, yep. dude, you know, one, that you, we know where you're coming from, but we're not there now. 
This is what's acceptable now. And we're and you and I both are like, we are not going to accept that, right? Exactly. I, we're gonna set the we're gonna set the rule right now yes. that I am telling you forcefully, I will tell you once nicely, and any time after that is going to be a very forceful conversation, that that behavior, uh, rhetoric, uh, verbiage is not acceptable in this office or anywhere else that I'm at, I'm at. <laughs> and it's just and, not and, gonna and fly. Then, and, and then I reinforce it by it's like saying, I'm not accepting it, right? Exactly, then, exactly. And then towards the end of our, our stay, our, our, our tour there, he was like one of our best friends. Yeah. I'm so respectful. Oh, how are you? And this and that, you know, I was like- Mr. White, Mr. Barnard, how's it going? Yeah, it's like, yeah. what the fuck? Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> but that's how it happens. Yeah. You, you have to challenge yourself first. And once, once you challenge yourself, and you take that word out of it, then I'm not a part of a different group to you, right? right I do right. have a different skin tone and that's it. You know, and that's I hear all that. politicians say, hey, we have to cater to the white suburban mom. You know, what do you mean white suburban mom? I have to cater. My wife, I'm in the suburbs right now. My wife's <laughs> right. here. We live right there, you know? We live on the same, we live on the same, the same block, yeah. yeah. We have what the, the same fuck? you know? Or the black community. What does that look like now? You know, in the past, we we're all you know forced to live, right? We we're all forced to live in the same areas, and and most of the times it was inner city, if, unless you're down south, and it was rural pockets down south. But it was always a you were you know forced to be in those communities. So yes, you had to identify with that community because you had to live there. If you stepped out of that, then your your life was in danger, right? So literally, but. You know, now where we are is we're, you know, president, we're running for vice president because, you know, skin color wise, right? Not, you know, not in that grouping, but because of who we look like, we're all over the place. You know, it's like, it's like, it, does, it doesn't have to continue to be right. a, a grouping, but we do it ourselves when we talk about these communities. You know, I understand, I'll, I'll end on this because I know you have to close. Um, Black Lives Matter is relevant it's needed but but when people say all lives matter when they can get to the point where they they know that includes anyone of any skin color anyone of any, any uh, uh sexual background or persuasion it, it includes every american when they can get to that point then we'll have all lives matter but right now that's that's a relevant group and it's bringing us that's the hopeful piece too is that it's right. helping us move on a continuum because in that black lives matter movement it's not only black people quote unquote pushing that and because that's, you're you're that's, looking at it you're taking it at face value right like the idea of saying to someone all lives matter the 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 context and the subtext in that statement is you know your life uh, black, a black life is not we shouldn't be talking about whether or not that matters because yes. all lives matter. Yes. That's not the fucking no. point. You're being no. purposefully exclusionary and you're also creating this logical fallacy in your own mind where you're you're trying to justify to yourself that you're not going to deal with this situation and you're not going to look at this in an honest lens. Right. So for me, when I hear those things it's like enraging. It's like a well, well the fucking duh, of course all lives matter, but that's not the point. If my kitchen was on fire, and I said, fuck, my kitchen's on fire. And the first thing you said to me was, oh, well, what about the rest of the house? That's important too. Yeah, of course it is. But my kitchen's on fire. We have to deal with the fire in the kitchen right now because that's what's on fire. Like that's, it's such a, again, it's this, it's like what we talked about. It's the idea of being so simple, but also being so complex. And it's, it's, 
it, it gives me hope when I think about this because, again, I was able to challenge myself and I hope that in by using that, those words, instead of referring to someone or acknowledging the fact that he, he, he used the, the term black to, um, uh, I guess, label my colleague. Label is a great I, word. I, instead of saying, instead of getting to that point and challenging him and saying, no, the, the dark-skinned woman that's sitting at the desk. I feel like that, to me, I'm hopeful that that left some kind of lasting impression. But I, I do feel like the conversations that we've had uh, have had lasting impressions on me specifically because, again, I've always viewed things like we talked about. I've always viewed things in a different lens and a different way of, of kind of approaching things. But the fact that you challenged me and the fact that it was like it's this amazing very simple, but also very complex idea. I fucking love it, man. Like I just, I, I, I want to, I am working to employ that here with my own children, you know? And, and again, I think back to this time when I was a child and I tell this story a lot. I'm pretty sure I shared this with you. I was probably like four or five. I was in kindergarten and I was sitting across from a, a dark skinned girl and um, I drew her. I was drawing us at the table. They were like, Oh, draw the, your classmates and draw the people that you're sitting with. And I drew her with a brown crayon. I colored her skin as, as brown because that's when I looked at the crayons. I had a bunch of different crayons. I had black, brown, and all different colors. I was like, oh, this is the closest to her. So I drew it. And I and something happened where she was upset with me because I said that she told me she was black and asked me to draw her as black. And I said, well, but your skin is brown. And I drew you as brown because that's what it was. And it was this thing and it was like... I am just literally looking at her, looking at the actual color of her skin as brown. And like in my mind, it didn't equate to me, right? So like when I think back about my own sort of uh, like uh, travels or, or um, enlightenment in a lot of ways, not just with, you know, race relations, quote unquote race relations in this country, but all a bunch of other things, it's, I think back to that time a lot and it's like I was so innocent that I had no idea that this was a thing. And then it clicked where it's like, shit, this can be done. This can absolutely be done. And it starts with us at the home, right? It starts with us here to do that. But um, one other thing I did want to touch on because we did mention it, and I know you have to wrap up, but um, Evan and Danny, when I think about our connection with our sons on, that are on the spectrum, um, I often am concerned about my own son and his involvement, you know, uh, possible uh, stopping by the police. Uh, and it's, it's strictly because, because I have a very complicated view with this idea of defunding the police. Right. And it's not because I want there to be no police because obviously we need somebody to enforce laws and things with, you know, bad things happen to bad things apparently happen in Philadelphia, but, uh, bad things happen to people. Right. Um, it, but it's this idea that like police aren't trained to be mental health experts right? Police are not trained to deal with someone on the spectrum who may be having some sort of crises, whether it's a physical or mental or emotional or something, whatever it is. They're not trained to handle those level of crises. So when I think about my own son being in a situation like that, I always think of Evan, not just being on the spectrum, but also having dark skin in a society where he is viewed differently as the other because of that skin. So it's that extra level of, of fear when you think about the idea of term uh, and then you also, ha you know, you think about the, the life that you have with, with Evan, like, does that, does that bring extra cause for concern? Does that give you a greater pause? Like, 
what, how does that, how do those worlds interact for you in the reality of the fact that like he could be stopped and something terrible could happen? Oh, I, I, I literally, and I'm almost to that point now, I've literally cried because I know given the wrong officer, the wrong time, he would be that person being shot like I was close to being because he does not have that ability to take those commands that folks throw out and say, process them and say, this is the police. I, I should not move this way or, or I need to comply. He does not have that ability. But when you look at Evan, before you, if he was just sitting still, you would immediately think, he's just a normal 18 year old, mm-hmm. right? Until you start interacting with him. Then it becomes apparent. But police officers don't take that time a lot. They react instantly. And, and then they think of you as a threat if you don't respond initially the way that they're commanding you to respond. And he just does not have that ability. So I am uh, definitely frightened. You know, for any, like we have you know, five other people in our family, any one of us letting them out of our sight is like the biggest fear. Because I know it will happen. And that's just devastating. That's te- that must be, that is. It is. It's terrifying as, uh, to think about that as, as a father. That's, yes. yes. And I, I, I often do. I, 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 again, I worry about that with Danny. You know, Danny's getting to the point now. He's, he'll be six in December. And he's getting to the point where he, you know, will run. He'll go somewhere. He'll go outside. And it's like, you know, he's, he's verbal, but he doesn't always, you know, like, like Evan, he doesn't follow the commands. Like he wouldn't. Cop shows up at the, he wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Like, he, you know, how does he handle this? But again, it's like, it's this idea of, and it, and it ties back into that larger point about, um, really having an honest discussion about how policing is done in this country. And it's not because we want police to be gone necessarily. We just want the, the, the abject bigotry to be gone from racism. And yes. this idea that like, you know, not just the, 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 um, the cultural implications of that, but also the fact that like, we need to train them in a way that doesn't allow them to react as um, aggressively or as immediately as they have been and also take the time to, because that's, that's how we train police in this country, right? They have six months of training and then that boom, they're out in the world and Oh, everything's a war zone and just, you know, kill everything that moves. Um, but it's, it's, it's important to really look at the idea of, of in, you know, empowering and enacting, uh, agents of mental health and agents who are able to be trained properly to, to handle these situations. But I, I, I do, I think about Evan all the time. I think about when I hear these cases on TV or I hear about another kid who's on the spectrum that's being handcuffed in school. And it's like, fuck, that could be Danny. And that, that could be Evan still too. And it's, it's terrifying. It really is. And, and I think that's a special kind of terror that you can't explain to anyone who doesn't have a child with special needs. Right. I know that sounds exclusionary, but it's also, it's like, uh, you know, again, it's the same idea of like having that context of, of being in the LGBT community, understanding the idea of the other. Right. And it's, it's tough. It's, 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 a, it's a tough thing to talk about too. Cause I can, I can see you getting emotional about it. And I'm also getting emotional about it when yeah. I think about it. It's like, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about. But, but that's another, that's another layer that has to be addressed at the policing level, you know, because there are more percentage wise children who are on the spectrum, that that has to be a part of how you police, right? Because Evan, 
would not do anything threatening, right? He does not pose a threat when you talk. He's one of the most docile kids that you but he's he's 18 now, right? He's physically, he's he's about almost six foot, right? He's brown skin, he's a male. So he fits that profile, right? And um, I challenge that that you know part of where I want this to go, right? I, ultimately where I want term to be is if it could be a think tank that that could reach out and touch all those systems and we're talking about judicial system right be it in in the courts or in this case um in the police departments you know being able to have this type of uh, topic be real across the country have real um uh, 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 I, hate I hate saying conversations, right? Because it just means like fluff, right? Let's just talk about it, right? But real movement within those organizations to really uh, call it what it is and then work on changing it, you know? And, to, and, and something as simple as adding a component to the police academy that talks about, and, and, um, one, stepping back, taking that extra second to take in you know, you're, who, who you're encountering. And then the second piece of you know, understanding what those characteristics look like, looks like for someone that might be on the spectrum because they vary, but there's some common threads, right? You know, the first being, do they even pose a threat? Right? Because if they don't pose a threat, you need to just dive in a little bit deeper about understanding who they are, right? right. If you're having his name and he can't tell you his name, then there's something a little off there, right? You dive Take a, a second deeper. to look at the scene. Read yeah, the room. You have to, right. you have, and that's the part of policing that has to change. You have to take the whole word of race out of it, right? And you have to hold people accountable who are police officers, who are individuals who break the law themselves. Those three things, if we can accomplish that, would be huge. And the component that you, we, we both talked about, but you, you just mentioned around having specialized folks that are professionally able to handle situations instead of throwing the police at all of everything that that um, that 911 gets a call about. Yeah, those those are the areas. Yeah. I, 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 before you actually end, end like we've been trying to end sure. for the last half an hour. But, <laughs> we, hey, man, but you know what? But end, you know what? This is this is a really important conversation to me, and I think that people, you know, folks that are listening to this are are going to agree with that. Like I, you know, like I said, I I generally I just have this way where I can just talk to people and it just naturally flows, and it's one of the things that I'm actually good at, surprisingly <laughs> enough. But like I. This is important. This is an important conversation to have, not just between guys like us, but like in general, right? Like people need to have these conversations. It shouldn't just be in our offices when we're sitting and, and bitching about something that happened at work or, you know, like at a restaurant where we meet somebody like this should be happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I'm, I'm good. No, good. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying. I was just saying. It's it's important for us to have these these discussions because it opens those channels of communication, right? And I don't want to say conversation because it's a stupid fucking word, right? It's the it's the fluff word that every politician wants to use. We should be having conversation. Like, no, we should we should be we should be doing that, right? But like, we need to be honest with each other, and we need to really take a hard look, especially right now, right? Like with everything that's happening, and and the fact that like the president of the United States could not denounce a fucking Bali, right? They literally lobbed him. Chris Wallace lobbed him to say, you know, denounce white supremacy. And he said, stand back and stand by. Like that is the exact opposite of what he told you to do. Like, 
we need to do this and be, because the change is not going to happen up top. The change is going to happen at the bottom and it's going to work its way up to the top. That's the only way you can effectively change things. So go ahead. What, yeah, what were you going to say? So I'm just going to piggyback on that. And that is yep. that for term to really take hold from that ground level, I need help, right? <laughs> I need help at that ground level, right? I need to, the, I need to be a part of and know about other discussions that are, are being generated around this. So um, forums, um, you know, radio shows that actually have programs specifically around this. Uh, I, I need to know that. I, can't, I, I don't find out about a lot of things until afterwards, um, but that's one of the things. Uh, I need help with uh, getting, getting organized around setting up uh, contacts within all the systems. So in the political world, someone you know, that has a reach there, in the legal world, someone that has um, not only just nonprofit kind of experience, but um, civil rights kind of experience, right? Um, educationally, you need, you need some folks to have reach within the educational system, right? So all those systems, culturally, someone that can take it and, and, and give more historical context than what my pea brain has, right? So I need, I need that support. And anyone that wants to help join that is welcomed. Um, there's just two ways you can contact me. I can throw that out. Uh, sure, yeah. And I'll link, I'll link it in the show notes too for the show as well. Okay. So my email address, my direct email address is J-S-W, V as in Victor, E-N-T-U-R-E-S. JSW Ventures, and I'm at gmail.com. And I also have a Google uh, cell phone number, 267-536-9121. Jeff White, thank you so much for stopping by, man. I really appreciate it. I, I always... Always have a great time chatting with you. I am hopeful that I will have time in the next like three weeks to meet you somewhere for lunch. Maybe we'll go to Honey Grow again because that is like the greatest place in the city. But um, let's try to link up again before I leave. Obviously, we'll, we'll social distance and we'll mask and we'll do that. But uh, I'd love to catch up at least. Well, I, I mean, before you leave, where are you going? I'm going to Pittsburgh, pal. I'm moving to Pittsburgh. I'm heading on out that way. Um, you didn't mention that word a couple of times and it didn't stick, but that's <laughs> definitely a conversation we have. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up. I'm going to be, uh, yeah, we'll touch on it. But yeah, Jeff, thank you so much. This has been like everything I've hoped for and more with this conversation on the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm extremely happy that you, you agreed to do this and come on and, and, um, uh, your hope inspires me for better things for all of us. And I think that if people actually took the time to really do the things that you talk about and employ the, the methods that you do, which I have, I, I think I think we're, we're in for a really a long lasting and meaningful change. So I just wanted to say thank you for stopping by, man. If it ever takes off term ever takes off, which I'm, I'm, I'm very, very not even hopeful, but I'm determined to have it take off. This moment will be it. This is the catalyst right here. This is it. Yeah. This is the ground level. This is where <laughs> up. Jeff. Thank you so much. I'm honored that you even asked me to be a part of this. Um, I've, I've listened to your podcast and I've always been impressed by you. Um, so dynamic that, uh, I just am thankful that you've given me this opportunity to speak with you. It's my pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. All right.
Take care. Thanks so much to my friend Jeff White for stopping by the program today. I'm going to link all of his contact information in the show notes. So in case you want to reach out to him and find out more information about the term movement and how you can get involved in helping it get off the ground, you can reach out to him right there. Don't forget to check out my Instagram account, at This Is Goober. We've got a bunch of really goofy and fun shit coming down the pipeline. We have the Purple Foundation Radio Yeti mugs that are available. We also have the 1-900-Hustler shirt, which... I just can't believe is a thing. Uh, shout out to our friend Chris Ventura Art for helping me design that shirt right there. You can go right to chrisventuraart.storeenvy.com to pick up your shirt today. I'll also link it in the bio notes for my Instagram handle and also in the show notes here. Friends, thank you so much for stopping by again to Foundation Radio. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you again next week. Peace. <laughs>